Hey folks, welcome to a very special installment of the DC3Cast. I am Brian, with me as always are Vince and Zach. We're going to get to comics in a little bit, but first, this past Friday, June 2nd, my birthday was the opening of Wonder Woman. The, uh, the, is this the fourth movie in the Zack Snyder DC-verse? Brian, Wonder Woman is yes. not about you, okay? No, it's not. It's not about me, but open on my birthday. It's Man, true. patriarchy much, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, would you go to, you go to an all-male screening of that on your birthday? <laughs> <laughs> I actually went my birthday eve, and it was uh, I was by far the least like geeked out person there, which is pretty crazy. But um, no, is is this the fourth Zack Snyder movie, like Snyderverse movie? Yeah, Man of Steel, BVS, Suicide Squad. Yeah, okay. Um, I think all of us had pretty high expectations going in, and we sort of know how the other people felt. But let's let's just lay it out there. Uh, let's rank. This among the current DC films is this the best current <laughs> DC film by a uh, hundred paces? Uh, well, I mean, paces? Like, I mean, Suicide Squad. <laughs> Vince, have you seen that yet? No, yeah, you still know. haven't seen it. No, what? It's on HBO Go, and I haven't even gotten up the courage to subject my subject myself to the twistedness didn't we oh. talk about possibly doing like a mystery science theater viewing of that the three of us yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. let's make that happen all right so anyway no, no I, i'm joking about is it the best dc film of course it was the best dc film uh how much did you guys love the movie well i think you loved it the most out of out of the three of us i think so yeah oh, I, yeah probably claims i did and i'll back those up in a bit but i'm gonna hear what you guys I thought first. I I liked it a lot. I was not as effusive as you, although my ranking uh, you you were ranking DC films for us, which I'm sure we'll talk about. My ranking probably wouldn't be all that much different from you. It would probably land in the same general area. Mm. Um, there there were some things about it that made me kind of roll my eyes, but um, I there's so much to admire about it. I if if oh man it. This is going to be a complete compliment, and I don't mean to, uh, you know, treat it like the redheaded stepchild or something. But um, this movie would fit right in in the Marvel in the MCU. Like, if Wonder Woman were a Marvel character, this movie would slot right in. It would feel right at home with that sort of tone and feel and quality. And I think that's a that's a comp like. I, th- I think that's a compliment, right? Does that seem like a backhanded compliment? No, I think that's like, I mean, that's a good compliment. Yeah, I and think, I, like Marvel has set the, you know, set the mold for how to do a proper superhero film. Yeah, I would say the only, the only sort of backhandedness of it is that I don't think that DC was trying to ape a Marvel movie, but I think they wound up doing it anyway. Well, like very blatantly ape. One, yes, one, one, particular. one particular yeah. one. Yes, but uh, but I think they're I think they're trying to, like, you know, for all the shit we've given Zack Snyder over the years, and we've given him plenty of shit. I think he's legitimately trying to do something new with these movies. I don't think he's trying to rehash like the. I think it would have been very easy for the Snyder movies to basically be the Nolan movies light, 
And I feel like he's not doing that. Even though I hate the direction he took them, I think he's doing something different. And I think that DC, while wanting to cop from Captain America, I think that the the goal ultimately was to do something new. And I don't know how successful that was, but I don't, I don't think that, that necessarily takes away from the quality of the film. I think this was definitely better than Captain America. I, I think so, too. By a long shot. Yeah, me too. Um, See, I don't know. That's that's where you guys and I would differ, but maybe that's because I'm such a big fan of Captain America, and actually all three of those movies. But but like I don't, I'm not as down on the first one I, I as think, everyone else. Yeah, I think two and three are great. In fact, they'd probably be my favorite Marvel films. Those, after those are my two favorite Marvel, Marvel after films. Guardians. Yeah. Yeah. But so so Brian, you, you talked about what Zack Snyder was trying to do with this universe. And I think that that'll, this would be a good way to transition into Patty Jenkins and what she was able to accomplish. Uh-huh. But, like, to put a button on that, I, th- I think one of the things that Wonder Woman does so well is that, um, you know, for all of the faults that we put on Snyder, the one thing that, that very few – some people do, but very few people uh, criticize Snyder for – is his visual prowess, right? Right. You can say what you want about his, like, color schemes or cinematography being a little bland. Or his taste, even, with certain things. Yes. But as far as, like, superhero visuals and capturing the -the over-the-top nature of them and the grandeur, that that is where he succeeds. That's probably literally the only place that he succeeds versus Marvel in like how he depicts the grandeur of a superhero. And I thought that that was something that Patty Jenkins actually emulated quite well in this movie. Ooh. Yeah. I want to talk about that. Yeah. But then, but then on top, beyond that, she was able to avoid all of Snyder's missteps, which are that his movies feel like they're pasted together from a bunch of ideas that may be good or okay on their own but don't make sense in concert and feel like they're slapdash. Like his movies feel like they're edited at the last minute and like they had to take stuff out and put stuff in that isn't necessary. And they ask a bunch of questions about superheroes and humanity, but they don't answer any of them. Like that's the big thing about BVS for me is like so much of it is about like, well, what does it mean to be a hero? And what does it mean to be able to trust and what does it mean to be an alien and and to trust that type of – and it raises all these, like, epic questions about our superheroes' gods and things like that, but it never answers any of them. And I feel like, like Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman did such a great job of raising some of those same questions, pretty definitively taking a point of view on them where Snyder's films never do. And so I think, like, yeah, Snyder wanted to try some different things with superheroes, but he just doesn't have the savvy to, like, get home with the storytelling in a way that I think Patty Jenkins really did. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. Yeah. Zach, you you wanted to talk about, like, the visuals that... Yeah, yeah. I wanted to say that I thought, so this film, for, for the most part, stayed pretty close to that kind of, you know muted brown dark color palette when doing things in like man's world 
but I thought that that worked really well because it contrasted with the like extremely like bright and colorful Themyscira. So that like worked for a, you know, that had like thematic purpose in this film. Yeah, that was she, that she, was like, a gorgeous contrast. Yeah, yeah. Like you you get to London and it looks awful, and you are like on. She says as much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you like are like on the battlefield, and it all looks so like dreary and, and gross because it is you exactly know? it was so, supposed to be yeah and so um i just thought that was like an, an interesting aspect that it it kind of like i guess not like quite redeemed that that style but put it to much better use it was yeah. it wasn't dark for darkness sake right it, yeah yeah it had a purpose Well, I mean, I guess we kind of teased this before. I mean, I I loved the film. I think that there's a couple of things you can nitpick about it, but I think Remus if... Lupin in in Greek armor. <laughs> what was that? Harry Potter. You know, I don't know what the actor's name is. I only oh. know him as, as Remus Lupin. The okay. guy who played Ares. Yeah, yeah. VM yeah. Varga from Far, the latest season of Fargo. If you're, if that's up your alley. Uh, sure, why not? Um, no, David Lewis. Uh, but yes. you know, I, I said, there are a couple of things you can nitpick about it, but I just felt like DC needed this exact movie right now. It needed a movie that wasn't going to be cynical, that wasn't going to be winking in any way, that was going to give people a real enjoyable superhero experience. And uh, Matt Garcia, one of our uh, editors of Multiversity, said that he believes that Patty Jenkins is the first director since um, Richard Donner to understand superheroes who directed a DC movie. And I mean, I, th- I think that Matt might be selling a couple of people short in that description, but he's not that far off. I think that Patty Jenkins understood that Diana needed to be pure and needed to be hopeful and needed to be, you know, bursting off the screen with love. And it just, it was so refreshing to me, the tone the movie took at almost every turn. And uh, I guess we'll talk later about sort of where this ranks among our all-time favorite DC movies. But what was, what would you guys say, let's, let's play this game. What was both the best and the worst part of the movie for you? I think the best. Okay, so I I guess like getting in a little bit to like what I thought about the movie because I I really didn't get into that. Like I thought the movie really started to work once they got off Themyscira, and like from that point on, it was pretty perfect. Um, I think the best thing, and I guess it's like a cop out. The best part of the movie was Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot. I I found out I was saying her name wrong. Is this Godot? Um, it's not Godot? It's Godot, yeah. Oh, wow. According to, I think it was BuzzFeed. Um, they had like... A, Five reasons why you won't believe that it's <laughs> exactly. Godot. It's why, you won't, why you've been saying it wrong this whole time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she was just like... Just spot on. Like, I don't, I, I don't know if I can think of like any other character casting in like a superhero film that was that perfect and again you kind of have to give that up to Zack Snyder 
Yeah. She she reminded me a lot of uh or her her fit for the role reminded me a lot of Christopher Reeve, to be honest. You know, yeah. like, I, I probably you know, the best one since him, honestly, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean it's just he defines Superman for you know a generation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean to me, you know, it it was great seeing like little kids at the theater little girls being so obviously inspired by seeing this and being so into it. But it was also great that like, I feel like if this movie was made 25 years ago, it would have been targeted specifically at just girls and it wouldn't have been for everybody. And I loved how the movie was just saying like, this is not a superhero for girls, it's a superhero for everybody. She is amazing and everybody should love her. It should be great. I feel like that that is such a fine line to walk in, uh, in marketing, you know, Marvel has has more or less said they haven't done a Black Widow movie yet because they don't know if there's an audience there for it. And I think that this movie shows that there absolutely is an audience there for that. Yeah, and personally, it's I find it ridiculous that they thought that. <laughs> oh, agreed, absolutely ridiculous. Yes. Um, I mean, you can't not fall in love with her watching the movie, right? I mean, she's just so perfect in that role. She she really embodies just about every like major trope about Diana. She just she nailed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She did, and, and, and the to... the writing really helped out too because I feel like at every turn they gave her they gave they gave the 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 world of men legitimate reasons to let her down, and she, at every turn she has like the perfect reaction to those. Mm-hmm. Like I, I actually, I was in, the thing that impressed me most about the movie, aside from her embodiment of the role and how they wrote that role and every, everything about that central role. The thing that I was most impressed about was how they depicted the Earth. Like I thought it was, I was surprised at how how rightfully grim they made it. You know how accurately depressing they made humanity look, you know, <laughs> especially given the state of things as they are right now, you know? Yeah. Um, it was really like, no, that like man does have the capacity for this on their own. And here's living oh, proof of that. That was honestly like maybe one of my favorite parts about the movie is that like to see her whole kind of like worldview shattered when, um, she thought she had killed Ares and everyone was still mm-hmm. going about their business sort of. Yeah. Yep. That, that part was just. So can I, that, that would lead into Brian, you asked what the weakest part I thought was that would lead into my weakest part because I feel like everything after that moment, it, it became, and I suppose it had to, because it is a superhero movie and it's a mythological superhero movie but I thought the, the I thought the point that there is no Ares, this Ares is a concept, and you like when she stabs, uh, the general Ludendorff, yeah, um, uh, that she realizes that Ares that he's not Ares, like to me, if I had my druthers, it would be so perfect for that moment to stand on its own and to say like, look, this this may be what Ares represents. 
Ares is the concept of the god of war, and he lives in these people that make war. And for her, for her to have like the literal version of that shattered, and to have her realize the metaphysical version of that idea, was such a perfect moment that it was almost a disappointment to me that then you had to have a literal fight with Ares. Like to to me that. But but that's not realistic on my part. I realize that this is a summer blockbuster. I I understand that. Right. Did did either of you expect that character to be Ares? Yeah, because it's David Thewlis. Well, I, I he was just like they're giving him a lot of attention. He's very nice, so he's obviously Ares. Yeah. See, I to be honest with you, I did not think that Ares was going to play a big role in this film. I thought Ares was going to be. The, uh, the the proverbial after credits stinger, like how Sinestro was in the Green Lantern movie, how it was oh it was showing it was introducing you to this character that will be a big deal later. I didn't think Ares, and I had been purposely avoiding a lot of spoilers See, for the film. I I had it spoiled by for me the way uh, what happens with most superhero movies is I saw a article with Lego sets for the movie, and there was a big giant. Uh, Aries oh. set, um, and so Fair. I was like, okay, they're gonna have to have a, they're gonna have a big fight. Scene okay, see, with I, the did, giant Ares. I didn't so, know that was coming at all. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I guess, and and I guess that kind of is my big thing about it too is that it ended up being just this kind of like standard superhero brawl thing with like kind of not great CG and and just yeah. And again, like me, just like being like an unabashed fanboy for the Azarello run, like the fact that he had to wear armor and couldn't just have like blood-soaked feet and a long beard. Um, <laughs> so you're mad he wasn't Azarello, is what you're saying? <laughs> I was. I was a little upset that they didn't actually get Brian Azarello to play Ares in this movie. <laughs> That would have been great. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, can we, like, going off of that, isn't it crazy, like, how much the New 52 influenced this movie? Yeah. That, yeah. It's it's probably the primary influence of the movie. Yeah. I mean, her origin yeah. is straight out of the New 52. The fact that Ares is a major player is sort of straight out of the New 52. Yeah. A lot of her characterization was, like, Jeff John's Justice League stuff. Yeah. Like the the kind of um uh I guess kind of like childlike wonder of the world coming out, of, you know, the ice cream the, the scene, ice cream scene. specifically was yeah. like straight out of Justice League. Um which that that like always reminds me. Do you remember when Jeff Johns had that, he had that like Hawkman scene that he yeah. would talk about in interviews for years, and then he finally wrote it. <laughs> he finally did it. That's and what we, that made me think of. And we were all like, "He did it!" Yeah. Hey. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, yeah, it's weird to think about like if the New Fifty Two hadn't happened, would this movie have happened? Why do you think it took 75 years for people to get this character right on film? Why do you think it took... So I, I was going through, like, Rotten Tomatoes had a list of, like, all of DC's films ever. Mm -hmm. And it was, like, 
you know, like 60% Batman, like 30% Superman, and then the remaining 10% was like Swamp Thing, Constantine, <laughs> um, the losers, you know, just Hodge, like it just the hodgepodge of like, you know, C and D list characters, which is like nothing wrong with that, but it's like we get Superman, we get Batman, and then bargain bin basically you know it's and it's weird that it has taken them this long to kind of get their bigger characters out there have you guys have either of you uh seen the documentary on the the failure of the superman yes yes so the superman franchise after the uh, whatever happened to superman lives and it was called whatever yeah 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 zach have you seen that no no that that more than anything else well that and like stories that kevin smith will tell well kevin smith's uh, part of that documentary too yes he is yeah. but he said he said a lot more outside the documentary yes he is <laughs> feeds into this it's to marvel's credit the executives at marvel seem to understand what makes those characters great and what the public wants and how to do it you know, 95% of the way the Warner brothers executives sound. So at least up until now sound, well, no, let's throw in now can just considering how the Snyder movies have gone sound so incredibly incompetent. Like some of the stuff, some of the vision that they had for Superman is so patently ridiculous that it becomes easy to see how a company could squander the best characters in comics, you know, they wanted to, there was an executive that literally was like, all right, we're going to do a Superman movie, but what if he didn't fly? Can we have him not fly? Like, okay, what are, what are the things you know about super, like ask anyone on the street, what Superman's powers are. He also didn't, he also didn't want Superman in costume at all. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. I will not repeat the word he used uh, for why he did not want (laughs) Superman in costume. Do you remember what that word was, Vince? Um, I don't know if I remember the exact word, but I know the uh, general concept. <laughs> okay. That he wanted to avoid, which is very uh, bigoted. Yes. <laughs> uh, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, um, somebody Google that. Google that if you're listening at home. Yeah, or just watch the Whatever Happened to Superman Lives. Uh, but the, these execs are so com- like so incompetent that to me like who knows what they would have had in mind for wonder woman like she's got to be nude all the time yeah i the part of the problem with with wonder woman as a, as a as a character though is that dc has not done her too many favors over her entire history i mean the fact that you that you know the average comic book fan could name 15 bat villains seven or eight superman villains and maybe two wonder woman villains Tells you everything you need to know about how DC has built up that character's rogues gallery and publishing publication history and all that. Yeah, it's, and I mean, it's really bad. We've talked about the kind of like lack of definitive runs too compared yeah. to the, those two. Um, you know, you've got the Perez run, the Gail Simone run, and the Rucker run um, as like the the kind of like classic definitive runs outside of maybe the original Golden Age stuff which which apparently has aged quite well 
Well, yeah, I guess, yeah. Some I parts mean, of it have. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I think it just, it goes to, I mean, it, it's funny, um, f- former Multiversity editor David Harper and I were tweeting a few weeks ago because he got a lot of shit from somebody on Twitter for essentially saying that it was lame that Dr. Poison was the villain of the movie. Now, we know, having seen it, that that's not quite the, the case, but that was how, you know, we were sort of led to believe, and he was saying, like, you know, here's a character with all this history, and this is the best villain you can you can dig up for it. And well, that's just a silly argument. It is, that's... but I also, but I don't think that David's wrong in the uh, in the general sense of that. Like, but who would? Because my question to him was, well, who would you have rather had there? And I said, yeah, if you do Cheetah there, then you're putting Cheetah as a World War One character, and you're totally eliminating the ability to use that character again in the films. Unless you say that, you know, she's immortal or something. Right, yeah. Cheetah powers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have to have some kind of, like, workaround. Yeah, you need some sort of major yeah. workaround there. Right. And I didn't think they were going to go with the, uh, the the pantheon of the gods just yet either. And uh-huh. so, you know, my kind of argument was, like, are you going to do Giganta? Like, there's just, there aren't that many classic rogues for her. There just aren't. So, you know, your options are limited in this in this situation. But I think that the film did it, – it was so successful that I think even if Ares wasn't the villain in the movie, or maybe it would have been even better if Ares wasn't the villain in the movie, you know? It didn't need that villain. Whereas I feel like when you hear people talk about the 1989 Batman, you hear them say how the Joker needed to be in that movie. Or how in the 1978 Superman – it need, Lex Luthor needed to be there. That that these characters were as defined by their villains as they were by themselves. And I think that you know, probably for shitty reasons, Wonder Woman is not defined by her villains at all. I think that's a good thing. I mean, I think so too. Yeah. To to me, I guess. To me, Wonder Woman is as much of an ideological figure, as much of a iconographic figure as Superman, in ways that Bat- like Batman and the Flash are not. You know, Wonder Woman and Superman are paragons that can exist on their own, and they're they stand for something that goes beyond uh, like pure individual villainy. You know, well, there's a purity to those characters. Yeah, and so like, like that's why I say if you would have ended the movie with her defeating Ludendorff and and realizing that that was not that it's not as simple as that. That's such a powerful like, like she is a symbol, and that's a symbol of humanity. And and I feel like I feel like comic book fans need to get beyond this idea that like you need yeah like you don't need the Joker when you have Batman either necessarily you can tell you can tell a story I we need we need we need these superhero movies to start telling smaller stories almost because like they're all going so incredibly big and you just can't do that every time you know. Yeah. And so I feel like 
I feel like we I feel like we somehow need to be okay with going a little smaller in scope if it means something greater thematically, you know? We can't have the Guardians of the Galaxy literally saving the entire universe from destruction by the hands of a cackling villain every time, you know? Yeah, I I don't disagree with any of that. What I think is tough, though, is I think you run the risk of of a backlash because... It because it does seem small and people don't understand why that's a good thing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that you know, it's kind of funny that we're talking about how the movies need to go smaller, whereas this movie is set during the Great War, the war to end all wars, as they remind us was the nickname of the war. But there was something very personal about what Diana did in this film that was. Um, that was refreshing. That was it. Was refreshingly small, even though, like you, like we were talking about, it is you know this gigantic setting. It's just it felt like her story was all about. It was about how her world was interacting and interfacing with with our world, but it never felt like it got away from being her story. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And and the World War Two setting, frankly, um... World War One. Please. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. It just rolls off the tongue like that. Yeah. World War One. <laughs> I just said it's weird. Yeah, you never, you never say it. You know, <laughs> I just say World War Two. <laughs> there was no World War One. Trolls, trolls too. It was like better branding to have it be a sequel. So. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'm sorry. Yes. No, the World War One setting was like perfect for it was perfect for this dawn of sort of a new era in America that you would basically they didn't really overtly discuss, but like you understood that this is something that hadn't been seen before, basically, in this era. And so uh, you know, the horrors were new to these people and, um, and, and it's this, it's this massive concept that kind of like Steve Trevor himself is like dealing with and doesn't entirely understand. He talks about it several times in the movie where he says, well, maybe, you know, he, he's raising all these questions and he's saying, well, maybe, maybe it's all of our fault. Maybe it's my fault that this is happening. You know, maybe we're just. Maybe we're not always good. Maybe we're not inherently good people, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that those are questions that Snyder similarly tries to raise in other movies, except that Patty Jenkins and Wonder Woman have an answer for those. And the answer is Wonder Woman. Superman in, like, Snyder's movies, Superman is never the definitive answer of those questions, you know? They're always saying, like, they're always saying, like, is a god, is it good that a god is protecting us? And like, the answer Wonder should Woman, be yes. The answer should be yes. And in Wonder Woman, at every turn, the answer, the Wonder, answer is Diana's, yes. Diana's answer is yes. Yeah, it's like super. It's it's really ironic because in the Snyder movies, all of the kind of like ham-fisted Christian iconography and like, you know, turning like very blatantly making 
Superman into this like Messiah figure. Whereas here in Wonder Woman, we have a character who is is genuinely without flaw in the conflict. You know, she even says as much like I've you know. I have no part in this and is like the redemptive figure because of that. Like the, you, you have like the actual, you know, she, she is a God in the film and she is kind of like playing that redemptive messianic role um, without all of the like really blatant imagery and iconography to back it up. Uh It just seems to me like it's such a more uh, nuanced take on Every part of uh <laughs> of the uh <laughs> the superhero mythos, right? Like everything. Not that it was the you know it, it's not a serious man in terms of its subtlety and tone, but it's a uh, it's just crazy to me how there were definitely parts of it that felt Snyderian. You know, you could see fit into that universe. But it never, it never succumbed to the same problems that uh, that any of the Snyder films succumb to, and that has to all be laid at the foot of Patty Jenkins, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, for me, the worst part of the movie was, I think, the worst part for everybody. The sort of the uh, the, the big final battle, I thought, was a little bit. Uh, a little bit of a misstep for a few reasons. But to me, the best part of the movie was just uh, seeing Diana's just wonder, pardon the pun, at everything that she was taking in. She just, uh, whether on Themyscira or in the man's world, she just seemed to be open and taking everything in. It seemed like everything was wonderfully, was wonderfully interesting to her all the time. And I love seeing a curious superhero. I think that's a really, I think it's a really smart choice. You know, I, I, the, it's funny because going into this, I was very convinced that this was going to be the DC version of Captain America, the first Avenger, which it was in a lot of ways, but it was also in a lot of ways, DC's version of Thor. It was this, this God, this, this, with, with the fish out of water stuff with the, um, sort of the love story between the mortal and the and the god and all that and uh but i think it worked i I think it just it didn't feel like a rehash of the marvel stuff while it would have fit in there it certainly did not it it didn't fall victim to the same perils yeah i agree um yeah, I thought it was very. I thought it was a very funny movie. Um, you've talked about you talked about how not cynical it was and how earnest it is. Um, I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty important that that you can have Wonder Woman say that she believes in the power of love and have it not be. Uh, and not be cynical about it or not dance around that, you know. Now it might fall on some of the ears of the viewers um, as cheesy. I'm sure there were people watching saying that it was cheesy. Uh, but I'm glad that they decided not to jettison it because of that. I'm sure that they had that thought, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and they said, no, we're gonna, we'll, uh, we're just, we're gonna have her say that. And we're, this is what she's going to stand for and people are going to get it, you know? And I think for the most part, people have. And, um, I thought even like the villain, like Dr. Poison and Ludendorff, those performances were like slightly campy, right? Like, yeah, like they were essentially cackling villains at times. But it was fun, you know, like it worked. That's that's kind of you should have a little bit of that in your superhero movies, you know. Absolutely. Um. Yeah. So so it, it even did like the little things right. I think. I agree. So uh, where does this rank for us in the uh, the all time DC films? I, I put a top five on Twitter, and I'm happy to talk about that. Do you guys have a top five ready to go? Um, so, it's hard for me, because the original Superman still has, like, a really special place in my heart, mm-hmm. but it also is kind of hard to compare the two films because they're just like from such a wildly different time and and space and frame of reference you know they're doing completely different things but also at the same time kind of doing a lot of similar things so i don't know it's hard uh vince you have a definitive idea of sort of where things rank well i think superman the movie is probably number one. Mm-hmm. It, it was such like, even even though I was born in 1987 and didn't see it, you know, for many years after it came out, you could tell the like grandeur that it treated the story, like the the weight that it gave to the story. You know, mm-hmm. the opening sequence from the time, to- like from the Krypton stuff until Krypton. he. Krypton. Krypton. Yes. It's Marlon Brando calls it the yeah, whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which confused the hell out of me as a child. What are, what are you, some kind of Hollywood Finocchio? <laughs> um, there's that slur you were looking for earlier. <laughs> Variation on it. Um, uh, no, um, yeah, from the time... From the from that moment until he like grows up, that is such a perfect origin that you need never need to tell the origin of Superman again. You know, agreed. Yeah, like it's so beautiful. It's treated with such care and and importance. And the whole movie is great, but really that sequence is like art as far as superheroes concerned. Not only that, but there's there was something really nice about that sequence that I just found out relatively recently, actually, which is that. His parents in that sequence are the original, like, serialized film Superman and the original Adventure of Superman on TV, Lois Lane. Oh. And, like, even even as far back as the 70s, DC was saying to people, like, look, Superman isn't just something that you loved. These are the folks your parents knew in mm-hmm. these roles. And I feel like there's something very uh, nice about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. That is cool, yeah. So I think that's got to be number one. And and this this is the part that I've been struggling with because 
Well, I, let me just say, I agree. Superman's number one, and I put Wonder Woman as number two. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The the problem is, and I, Dark Knight is very important, at least for me. But I don't know if it'll. I don't. Uh, it's definitely not my kind of movie anymore, necessarily. I agree with mm-hmm. that too. But it it's very important. It's a yeah, good it is movie. A very technically well done film. Yes. To me, the Nolan Bat films are really good films that aren't Batman films. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here's here's the thing about the Dark Knight for me. Not twisted enough. Not well. <laughs> now it's not twisted enough. But yeah. when I was when I was in college, that was like the perfect time in my life for that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. and it and it blew me away, and I thought, I thought, how can superhero movies get better than this? Okay, that was me at the time, and now, as a thirty-year-old man, I look back at that movie and I think, I would st- if it were on TV today, I'd sit down and watch it if I had time. I would. I I still think it's a really compelling movie with a compelling Joker performance. There is some cool Batman stuff in it, even though it's not it's more of a Michael Mann movie than it is like a Batman movie. Right. But but sitting here as a thirty year old man who's entrenched in DC comics and goes to see pretty much any superhero movie that comes out, I never want them to make like back then I thought they could never top it. I never want them to make another superhero movie like it now. Right, like I don't you've ever seen want that. Kind movie of how yet. they top it. We've seen how they top it, and it's yep. by making like fun superhero movies that are fun, good. earnest superhero movies that yeah. are, that embrace what they are. And and yes, yeah, yep, exactly, I, exactly. And so this is where I struggle because there's a part of me where The Dark Knight is absolutely number two, you know, but then there's another part of me that thinks. I, I I can watch it as an action movie, but it's not a comic book movie to me. And so I struggle with that. And then I also struggle with, I do struggle with Superman 2, even though there's some goofy-ass moments in that. <laughs> and, and it's not the movie that Superman 1 is. But I, I got to tell you guys, growing up, it was Star Wars, it was Labyrinth, and it was like the first two Superman movies were on repeat in my house. And to me, they're entwined. They're entwined so much that I sometimes forget what scenes happened in Superman two versus Superman one. Well, they were shot together, essentially, essentially. Right. Right. But, but I, I'll like literally forget, like there'll be like a comedic scene from Superman two that I thought was in number one. You know, I can't funny. Even... I've never seen garbage eat garbage <laughs> I was before about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Your seat's in there, four eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I've been working out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> God, I love. See, so, so if you're if you're if you're asking me today, and I, it's been a while since I've seen Superman one and two, mm-hmm. but just what an integral part of my upbringing they were. I I almost have to say Superman one two 
and and there are days where I'll tell you that the Dark Knight is right up there. But I feel comfortable putting Wonder Woman at three. I, I think I it's I don't think I've seen Dark Knight since before Dark Knight Rises came out. So really, it's been a while. I don't think I have either, actually. So it's really it's actually hard for me to make that call right now. I think just like where I'm at now, subjectively, I would say Wonder Woman, like by a long shot, probably. But like objectively, it'd be a bit harder. Here's here's my thing about the Dark Knight, and I think you guys are going to understand exactly what I mean when I say this. I feel like the Dark Knight is a blessing and a curse for comic movies. I feel like the Dark Knight is the Watchmen yeah. comic of superhero movies. Yeah, it, where it is it, the Watchmen of yeah. Definitely. It's it's for people who claim they don't like superhero movies, who can say, "Oh, I don't like superheroes," but the Dark Knight is a masterpiece. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> like it's a pretentious answer for people who don't want to just you know fully commit to liking a comic book movie. And I think that that part of it is really not the fault of anybody involved with it, but I I take umbrage with that opinion. Yeah. Uh-huh. If I'm going to be honest, my favorite superhero movie is Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but... Uh, <laughs> wow. My, mine's probably um, Winter Soldier. M- mine is Superman the movie. Yeah. I, it, it would, I, I was kind of just being provocative but it really would be for me right now it would be a, a runoff between those two mm-hmm. yeah i mean and I, and I think that what we're ultimately getting at here though is that wonder woman feels classic in a way that superman felt classic yeah that the, the care that vince you used that word perfectly the care of the opening 20 minutes of superman the movie it just felt like the like like uh, Richard Donner and you know the um, is it the Sacklins is that the the family that produced it? Uh, anyway, the, the yeah. people who were who were involved. If you, go down a Wikipedia wormhole sometime for the uh, producers of Superman, but uh, like the, everyone involved with that realized like we we are making we are making the definitive version of this classic character. We have to get this right. And, you know, the the tagline of the Superman the movie was, you'll believe a man can fly. Because at the time, the special effects were such that it was it was the pinnacle of that. So you have this technological marvel. You have this incredibly cared-for script and sequence. You have the perfect avatar of both Superman and Clark Kent. You have just, you have every element to me that is classic about Superman. You have Lex Luthor in the movie. You have Kryptonite in the movie. Like it just it has everything you'd want from a Superman movie. And it's just it's is it a little bit hokey? Is the is the ending especially a little bit weird with oh, the, the ending is perfect. I love it. You know, but it's it's so silver age. It is, it is. You know. <laughs> uh it's wonderful. It's not it's not quite the like giant cellophane S shield from Superman 2, but <laughs> No, it's not. <laughs> think about that all the time (laughs) i think about that all the time uh so i mean i I guess to wrap up this part of our conversation then we're gonna take a quick break um does this give you hope for the rest of the dc cinematic universe or is this going to be the outlier for Uh, the rest of the uh films it it gives me so much hope (laughs) i feel like this is perfect i feel like vince would say it's an outlier 
Zach would say it gives him hope, and I'm right in the middle of the two. <laughs> oh, uh, us. All right. Uh, Zach, why do you feel that way? Um, Because if nothing else, like, I mean, I feel like if they played it right, they could build, they could scrap everything and build a franchise out of Wonder Woman, you know? And not just like a Wonder Woman franchise, but like a DC film franchise built around Wonder Woman. Like Iron Man, a la Iron Man, you know? Um, and I think like, I mean, they're going to see that, yeah, like Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman and all those movies did well financially, but they were panned critically and we know that they weren't happy about that. This film is on track to do well critically and financially, and they're going to like, eventually we'll have enough of these films where there's going to be an obvious pattern that you, you know, would have to just be completely oblivious not to see. And so I think eventually we're going to have to start getting more of these kinds of films from DC. I heard a really interesting and provocative theory the other day, which is that the reason, because the rumor I had heard was that uh, Ben Affleck was supposed to cameo in the beginning or the end of Wonder Woman. And they pulled that because essentially this movie now is a complete bottle film. It stands totally on its own. And you could recast Batman, and you could put a, a DVD box set, or dating myself with DVDs, a Blu-ray set in, in five years with Wonder Woman, and then whatever movie comes after Justice League, and you would never know there was stuff in between there. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just, it just, it perfectly isolates itself. It's true. Uh, then you, you've got the, you've got the weird anachronism of having Gal Gadot in uh, BBS. That's unfortunate. Because, but, because then and then Justice that, League, no BBS and but, Justice League. Justice League is coming oh, and, out. Oh, and Justice League. Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. I, I thought, uh, yeah, yeah. I thought you were correcting me no, for no, no, some no. reason. No. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Yep. So, so yes, you can do that. But this is why I say it's the outlier because I just feel like I feel like we're already too far down the Snyder wormhole. Um that it's just it's just unfortunate it's just bad timing because you could absolutely build an entire cinematic universe starting from this movie from the ground up and they can't do that because they're waist deep in something that they weren't ready for they're pot committed well yeah yeah yeah. but but i think that maybe you know we'll have to wait and see like how aquaman does but if we get enough of these like side films that do really well critically and financially then maybe they can use those as a foundation to turn it around to me the the big problem is that like you know even more than the avengers i think people know like normies know the term justice league and if you fuck up that first Justice League movie, I don't know if you ever get a chance to do it again. Or not for a long time. That's yeah. Why you, that's why you do a Justice Society film. <laughs> in, in, in name only, just to differentiate. I mean, you know what I would do if we're talking big picture here? So the, the, the rumor is that the next Wonder Woman movie is going to be set in modern times. I would do the third movie of her in World War II fighting with the Justice Society. Jump oh back God. and forth, make the odd films flashbacks. 
Well, so see, I saw a thing about that. Like, I, I saw an article that was basically like, I guess in in Batman versus Superman, it's kind of like implied that she has kind of been under, you know, under the radar, retired this whole time. Like, she hasn't been superheroing mm-hmm. that whole time. Um, which like. Is, it's it's kind of interesting in light of how this film ended, like why why she would do that. So maybe they can retcon that. And you're right, and and have her doing some some cool. I mean, I think stuff. if she's up for it, and it's going to be hard because, you know, I, when we meet, first of all, Tony Stark doesn't have to be in great physical shape because he's in an Iron Man suit the whole time. So Robert Downey Jr., you know, he had to stay in decent shape, but he didn't have to look. He'd have to stay, like, in uh, Gal, Gal Gadot's in, like, incredible shape, right? And it's going to be hard to keep that up for 15 years to do seven or eight movies just because it's hard to be that in shape, right? But also, couldn't you see, like, a kick-ass Wonder Woman movie when she's in the white, like, pantsuit as a spy? <laughs> but, like, really, if you're jumping around yeah. in time, do that movie. That'd be fantastic. You know, also, you know, thinking back now, like... How perfect would it have been, like, if they could have started with Wonder Woman and had her be the through line for the whole history of the DC universe? Yeah, that. Yep. But can't can't do that because she's not Batman. Yep. She's not. She's not a. She's third fiddle for some dumb reason. Yes. Can I just say? Well, let's bring. We, we let's let's establish the DC three as a woman respecting podcast. Yes. We we are the women respecters, and um, the opening to this movie on Themyscira was probably some of the most breathtaking scenery, and that includes like the fact that it's an island of all these like buff women <laughs> training. Tra- I'm not. This is not objective. I'm not trying to objectify. I'm saying like it was a beautiful thing to to look at. Yes. Do you think there's ever been a film with that many, like only female characters for like I, Amazon women on, on the Mars moon? Maybe, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. To go that long without like having a male character and have yeah. you know, because the movie has yeah. to get what at least like twenty, at least like twenty minutes before Steve Trevor shows up. Sure. Yeah. And uh, and just just like just showing them training and like living their life in society like that and like it's just beautiful imagery and I can imagine <laughs> we're we're three cishet dudes here right but like I can totally imagine how cool that that would feel you know like I I think my wife was really into it you know and um, who my wife. <laughs> My wife. It's nice. We have a sex. Um, Pamela. What? Pamela? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my god, this completely undermines the point I'm trying to make. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) But I just think it's such a cool, like, like moment for women, especially considering they've been waiting for like a solo. superhero franchise for the longest time and um they definitely especially in those first 20 minutes but at other times throughout the movie too definitely took advantage of that and 
the the sequence where she's like completing her training when she's grown on Themyscira and they're all like her island mates are all like coming after her as part mm-hmm. of the training, you know, and she's like whipping their asses, you know. There's one moment where she like <clears throat> goes to one knee and she's got like it's almost like a statuesque pose that you would see of like a statue sculpted, you know, of like mm-hmm. a Greek Greek god or something. She's like on one knee. She's got like one fist in the air, the other like behind her. It's a very it's a very statuesque thing. And in that moment, I was just like, oh my god, like she looks like Wonder Woman. She looks like a Greek god, yep. you know? Like mm-hmm. they they completely nailed the 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 what that what that the grandeur of that island and what it's supposed to look and feel like. Um which is I, I think is just a really much like I talked about the opening of Superman the movie, that establishes this character in just the perfect way with the most grandeur yep. they could have. Uh, I also want to just quickly, before we move off this, I want to throw some love Chris Pine's way. I think he did an amazing job in that role. I think he was charming and fun and had a really heroic send-off and wasn't obnoxious in the way that sometimes the uh, the shepherd through the new world can be. I thought he was really great in it. Yeah, I really liked a lot of the kind of extended cast, too. Yeah. Um, even though, I, I guess you could be cynical and argue that they were, like, racial caricatures, <laughs> but they were good. I, I thought that they served their their part really well and had some really good moments. The bit with um, Charlie, the uh, the PTSD, yeah, the bit with him playing piano and singing after that big battle, like that part, brought a legitimate tear. You know, I like that felt earned. That felt really like I was like, man, yeah, yeah, that part was really good. And, and, you know, just, like, the little bits, too, just kind of, like, adding more layers with the, you know, there was the Native American character who, you know, they're sitting around the campfire talking, and she's, you know, telling her about their history, and she, and he says, she's like, yeah, well, who who took your land? And he points to, to Chris Pine, and it's, like, his people, and, you know, just those, like, little bits kind of added to the, like, her, I guess, awakening later into the film yeah. to, like, how things really are. Yeah, she she became woke. Yeah, she, she got. She certainly yeah. got woke. Yeah. Those yeah, those are really nice. Mo- I mean, it's easy to say like, oh, those characters got the short shrift, or like, oh, they were just you know caricature. Well, okay, maybe, but at the same time, like, those kinds of characters are never going to get major arcs in a superhero movie, you know. And they mm-hmm. even touch on that in the film too, with the. Um, the one character who wants to be an actor, but you know, he said I was born with the wrong the, color skin, you know? Yep. And, yep. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, really, yeah, yes. You want to see, um, you want to see roles for, for those type of characters, but in a wonder woman, what this movie was trying to accomplish, I think that was the perfect, you know, like, like I said earlier, what that serves to do is, to be very frank about problems in society. And I think all of those characters represented that, you know? Yeah. Whether that turns into anything, you know, you can argue how much that matters, but 
that's what those characters are trying to address, right? I mean, they're they're trying to put that in a blockbuster in front of your face, you know? Right. I, I think it's important. I think so, too. All right, well, uh, anything else to add before we take a break? Um, do, oh, do we think Steve Trevor makes it? No. no. Never, never again. We're not going to have a Chris Pryne. That's that's such a cop out if he makes it. Yeah, yeah you're right. It takes, it takes away a major moment. On the other hand, it is it's it's too bad that like, I mean, this is a character who's established as Wonder Woman's most important secondary character. I think generally in yeah, comics. Yeah, absolutely. History. Yeah. So, it's. I think it would. Be, I think it would be brave of them to never have him come back. Absolutely. I think so too. Um, which, is, I, which is why I'm skeptical that. Well, that. yeah. What I was going to say is, I wouldn't be surprised if, in the modern day, you see Chris Pine playing like Steve Trevor the <laughs> Fourth. Oh god. Which is so lame, but trust me, they'll go there. Yeah, yeah. That's preferable to. Um... Having him put on ice for... I guess, you know, whenever we get our Legion of Superheroes film, they can go back in time and bring him <laughs> to the future, or Booster, either one. Oh, they should have him They should have him be old, like... Um, like Peggy? Uh, Peggy uh-huh. Carter, yeah. He could come out... Only uh, he would have to be, like, 100 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there's like 150. That, there's that girl with the gams that saved me. <laughs> Oh my goodness. My dick hasn't worked since Truman dropped the bomb. <laughs> we we almost saw Steve Trevor's pud. We we almost did, you're right. That's my Twitter name right I, now. I know it is. <laughs> and uh, I have to say I, I feel like uh what I loved when I was watching the movie is how mad men's rights people were gonna be about how objectified Steve Trevor was. Yeah, but it was perfect. Oh yeah, it was that was it was a nice touch. Hey, do you think um here's another thing. Here's a question I had. Do you think that uh Diana hid the uncomfortable hunk of metal in her ass for years uh when after he gave her the watch? <laughs> so he, he gave me the watch and uh <laughs> He gave me the watch. Give me the watch and the. I hid this uncomfortable hunk of metal in my ass for two years. That's <laughs> <sighs> Pulp Fiction, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Specifically, the uh, the prelude to the uh, Butch story. Yes. And now, little man, that, that, baby. I give it to you. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back. Bye. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at the Eisner-nominated MultiversityComics.com. Every week we take about 15 minutes to check out books hitting the shelves on Wednesday that we're most looking forward to. We also have long-form discussions about books we're excited for, both old and new. These episodes have included works like Jaime Hernandez's Love Bunglers and Katsuhiro Otomo's epic Akira. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the people we've had on the show have been Tom Scioli, Paul Pope, Leila Del Duca, and John Workman. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow on iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comics-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. 
And we are back. We're going to uh, discuss the the only there were only four books released by DC last week. But we're going to talk about them all and then more stuff. We have uh, an action packed show here for uh, for our last show as a trio for a while. Zach is going to Japan this weekend and will be gone for the month of June. And uh, we'll be back in July when Vince then goes away for a week, and then I go away for weeks. This is I think this is our last show together until the middle of July. So uh, so let's live it up, boys. So, uh, yeah. Teen Titans, uh, Lazarus Contract Special Number One, a, a mouthful of a title, but the last bit of the Lazarus Contract. Uh, this is scripted by Christopher Priest and illustrated by Paul Pelletier. And uh, this wraps up the Lazarus Contract storyline. And what'd you guys think of it? A tour de force. And I mean, I mean the Lazarus contract as a whole, not particularly this issue alone, but it, it really wraps up something that I thought was really a really really enjoyable Cape, Cape comic crossover. Zach, yeah, it was very good. Uh, Christopher Priest should write all DC events from now on. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, I will say this: I did not expect. Like, you know, we're sort of conditioned to believe that event books have an impact on the universe for a short period of time, but then ultimately everything goes back to the way it was before. And I'm not saying that that is not going to be true here, but each of the three books is leaving with a pretty serious status quo shift after this event. Yes, and, and I think I thought it was interesting how the each of those they they each sort of got their own little prologue or epilogue sorry epilogue yeah you had their own little epilogue yeah i'm dumb yeah i'm i'm a really dumb person um <laughs> they each got their own epilogue and i thought it was interesting how this crossover was for the most part pretty seamless and then when they got to those epilogues they all kind of again became the books that they were before right uh, which was interesting, and we'll talk about a little more, I'm sure. But yeah. So, um, I, I guess let's let's not bury the lead here. You know, Vince just alluded to it at the end of the book. There are three very specific things happen. Uh, Deathstroke quits being Deathstroke. Damian Wayne fires uh, Kid Flash from the Teen Titans, and due to what Damien did to stop Deathstroke, Wally West now has the old Wally Wally Senior, older Wally, has a, a heart condition and he can no longer be the Flash. Um, first of all, I loved the way that Damien basically knocked Wally in the heart <laughs> to <laughs> like stop the time travel from happening. I thought that was a really interesting really creative way to get around the typical like you know time travel comic story uh and i thought that was a really effective way to to leave that team what did you guys think very clever yeah it is really clever it's it's weird that this bad thing that has happened to wally is damien is like directly responsible for it Mm -hmm. you know I feel like that will lead to more tension between the Titans and the Teen Titans after this. Which is a good yep. thing, I think. Mm-hmm. I think story t- for storytelling purposes, it's a very good thing. Um, 
so let's let's just talk about that for a second. Do you think that there's any way that Wally is off the table as a Flash for a while? I mean, I guess it'll have to be. I mean, this issue ends with him like running all out, <laughs> which is you know, st- I'm like, stop, Wally, you're, you're gonna have a heart attack. Yeah. But um, I would assume he would not keep that up, and he will kind of be on the sidelines for a while. In a way, doesn't this sort of solve the big problem with having two Wallys running around? I don't think there is a problem. Neither do I, but I think that there's a lot of people who think that you can't... Like, there are folks who don't like that there's so many flashes Ugh, right that's, now. Which makes no fuck, sense to me. Fuck those people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, it was going perfectly fine. Yeah. I I don't think it... I would be surprised if, like, Wally, if this, like, status quo for Wally the Elder mm-hmm. lasted more than, like, a six-issue story arc. Yeah, I agree. I think I don't think you bring him back in Rebirth just to, like, give him a malady that turns him into an Oracle-esque character for the, you know, near future. I think it's, I think it seems like a one, one or two arc thing couple few months maybe if anything i think this will lead to a a a more this will lead us somehow i'm not sure how but this will lead us to a status quo for wally that's closer to his pre-flashpoint status quo somehow um i think there will be some like time travel rebirth shenanigans that happen to to both fix him and his timeline a little bit I definitely agree with both of you. I think what's going to happen is I think you're going to see Barry somehow fix this. Because one of the things that we, we've seen, we've seen Wally show up in The Flash, I think, twice now. But we haven't seen Barry show up in Titans yet. And I think that's what this is leading to. Maybe maybe even a Titans-Flash crossover. Ooh, I'd like that. So would I. All right, let's, let's save the big one for the end. Uh, what do we think of Kid Flash being fired from the Teen Titans? Uh, I mean, we kind of already knew that was going to happen. Yeah, that was the one where I felt like I wish the solicits didn't give that away. Yeah. I love how that scene looks like a Silver Age comic book cover. Oh, absolutely, you know? yeah. Like, I, like that little that little panel, could, you could blow that up and make it a cut, like Teen Titans number nine cover, you know, yeah. with the, with the, the over the top speech bubble and everything. Yep. There, there's no us kid flash. Not anymore. You're fired. <laughs> Damien, Damien's Trump, by the way. Of course he is. He, he always has been. Yep. Tiny hands. He's Baron Trump. <laughs> he is Baron Trump for sure. But of course, Bruce is, Bruce is the real Donald Trump. Yeah. yeah, and he saw he saw Bruce beheaded, and he I thought was, it was actually. I was just making that joke. I was just making that joke. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Oh boy. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think that it's interesting to use Young Wally as the Teen Titan that would have the least. I mean, aside from Aqualad, right? He has the least experience with Slade and with supervillains in general. So he is the most susceptible to, I don't want to say being brainwashed, that's, that's overselling it, but to, to be convinced that Slade is somebody worth teaming up with, you know, which made sense 
in the Lazarus contract. I think it makes sense again in this next arc uh, for him to be a part of Deathstroke's team. So yeah, and uh, what do we what do we think of Slade quitting? I think that is an awesome. You know, I I bring this up a lot, but I think of when Scott Snyder says. Uh, that Grant Morrison told him that if you write Batman, you have to give Batman a death. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I think about that quote a lot because I love Grant Morrison. Like he's my comics dad. <laughs> and, uh, and I think about it a lot and I think, you know, you can apply that concept to any character you're writing. You know, if you've got a long, if you've got a long run planned on a character and you're, you're afforded, you know, a year or two to write a character at least, I think you should somehow work in a quote unquote death, not, not necessarily a literal one and not necessarily a character quitting the job either, but some sort of, some sort of death because it offers a lot of thematic depth that you can play with. You know, those stories tend to be really memorable in the, in the canon of characters that go through them, you know? And so I think, this is an example of that. Like we have enjoyed a year of great Christopher priest comics with him writing Deathstroke and for him to throw in a wrinkle where Deathstroke quits, but we know that we're going to continue to spend time with Slade as a character that there's so much opportunity there for like a richness of storytelling and character exploration and then to show how he comes because he will eventually be Deathstroke again, you know? And I think that arc is something I absolutely will relish seeing Christopher Priest sink his teeth into. Agreed. Um, anything else to add about the Lazarus contract? Is this the best of the DC crossovers since Rebirth? The button was really good. Yeah, it's it's hard because like the button was really good both like creatively and artistically and also in the you know hashtag very important story sense (laughs) um but this was for for a crossover between three not like not like core books you know Mm -hmm. this was huge this was very good and and one of those books being the the best book at DC right now, like obviously. So, um, it it was very very good. I almost actually wish that this could have been longer. Yeah, I wouldn't have minded this being a two month event. Yeah, uh, I think this is the best crossover that DC has done. I think the button was very different, and I think the button felt really good because of the Jay Garrick stuff and because it feels like it's furthering a story. But I think ultimately the button didn't further much. This actually pushed all these books ahead more. This has much more of a purpose than the button had. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I, th- I think it's the best crossover, but I, I, I think the button was really good too. I said so. why. I mean... And I even think Superman Reborn, to a certain degree, was better than it should have been. Yeah, better than it should have been, sure. Yep. You know, these are these are good times for DC. Uh, let's quickly plow through the other books. And I, I really do mean quickly because we have more fun stuff we want to do for this uh, 
extra special, super-sized goodbye episode. Um, so, uh, The Flash, we had uh, an issue that was delayed, so we got it last week, or this week, rather. The Flash, number 23, written by Josh Williamson, illustrated by Carmen A. D.J. Domenico. Uh, this is the first part of a, uh, a Flash-Hal Jordan team-up, which we haven't seen in a long time, and was fun. What do you guys think of this issue? It was fun. But also kind of dark because Barry is having like weird PTSD where reverse slash kills everyone. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> this book is crazy. It's my Brian Fellow Safari Planet. <laughs> a but flash just... and a baby flash. <laughs> This, I. What is going on with Reverse Flash, you guys? He's 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 a big old paradox. He's back and he's bad again. He's He's bad bad again. Which Reverse Flash is this now, though? I'm pretty sure this is Thawne. It is. It's literally the one that we just saw die. Yeah, the one who was dead in this issue. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We did see Um, like a glint in his eye when he was on the the slab at the morgue. Yeah, yep, I yep. mean we've we've this is like a thing about him though that we've known before though that like he he can't die because he's messed with time so much. Right. Crazy. It is twisted almost. Almost. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what I thought was kind of fun about this issue is I feel like uh, Josh Williams Josh Williams did something really fun here, which is that we're so used to seeing superheroes like narrating their own stories in monologue like while other things are going on to have characters like yo barry wake up you know <laughs> it, like you're, you're talking to yourself again it just it seemed like that was that was a nice little uh self-aware moment for the book <sighs> uh, anything else to add uh how jordan is good again yeah this, well this is yeah. this is the best how jordan in uh Long time. Long time. Wearing that coat. Yep. He's rock, He's rocking that coat. You know, we had, um, I was just on uh, <clears throat> Alice's Star Wars podcast for the Multiversity Podcast Network, and uh, we were talking about how good the coats are in Star Wars, how good the jackets are. They are quite good. And I, I think we need to start keeping a, t- a tally on the DC3 cast of all the good DC coats <laughs> and jackets. And Hal, Hal's, we're going to put... Hal, Hal is uh, number one on our list right now. Okay, that's and, fair. And we'll see what ha- we'll see what happens as we go along. But I also like how Hal is essentially Will Ferrell from old school, giving the bread maker <laughs> as <laughs> <Yeah>. a gift. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, but yeah, that was fun. A fun issue, somewhat inconsequential, but fun. Uh, I'm excited to see where the Reverse Flash stuff goes to. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we have the Trinity Annual, written by Rob Williams, illustrated by Guillaume March. This was a, a Jason Blood slash Etrigan heavy issue. Uh, is this the good Rob Williams, or is this the Suicide Squad Rob Williams? This is somewhere in the middle. This Agreed. is like the fine Rob, fine Rob Williams, you know? I didn't like this at all. Really? I thought yeah. it was. I, I thought it was fine. To me, this is like, this is the reality of what annuals tend to be. 
but it's not <laughs> what I think annuals should be. Well, it's it's weird because okay, so we had that one Rob Williams Trinity issue, which this follows and, up on, kind of, which this follows up on, and then so I was thinking like, so this is Rob Williams and Guillaume March, who is the team doing the the Doctor Oz, Mister Oz story, <laughs> Doctor Oz story. He's selling um, bullshit supplements to Clark Kent in, in action in August, but also I I just double checked. He's he's doing a follow up to this in Trinity that yes, month too with Clay Man, um, so I don't know what Rob Williams is is doing in DC right now. He he seems to be playing like a really long, possibly important game for like Rebirth, but also I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was nice seeing Etrigan. Yeah, I like Etrigan. I think Etrigan's remember a character that gets either underused or incredibly overused. He's never used just the right amount. Right. He he was all over the New 52. Yeah, Demon Knights. Remember that? Yeah, Demon Knights. Yeah. That was a great book. It was a good book. Um, I, I really like Guillaume March's art here. I think he's a great fit for Etrigan. I do too. I, like, he needs to do, like, a... There's that... It's, um, it's like when... Jason Blood is separated and he's like starting to age uh-huh. and like how kind of like horrific and sort of like 90s vertigo that is. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels very like Hellblazer, Sandman-esque. See, maybe I'm crazy, but I thought March's art was a little sloppier than usual for him. I think it is, yeah. I think yeah. it is a little sloppier. I would um, say looser. Looser is yeah a Maybe better term. Sloppier. I think. Yeah, sloppy sounds bad because I don't think it's. <laughs> it is a lot less. Um, I meant for it to sound bad, so you. Oh. <laughs> that that's me. But did he oh, make I it extra he... sloppy for us? I thought this was. A <laughs> I know sloppy. you skits like it extra <laughs> sloppy. <laughs> Get out of here, lady! You're scaring us. Yeah. Sorry. That's all right. I, I set you up for that Billy Madison riff, so that's that's on me. Uh, uh, this was this was okay. This wasn't great. Um, I don't like the idea of. I feel like this this idea of there being like a a, a darker Trinity than the dark <laughs> Trinity we're getting in Red Hood and the Outlaws is a Wait. bit of, is a bit of a silly idea. Isn't it also weird that we're getting like Trinity War Redux here? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I also think it's weird that, like, they don't realize that Superman has other villains than Lex Luthor. Like, they're spending a lot of time and energy being like, Luthor is not a villain. He's not. He's he's not a hero nor a villain. He o- occupies this gray space, but we're going to make him part of this, like, dark trinity. Like, yeah. There's oh, literally hundreds of characters they could have used instead of him. But we're also going to get a darker, not a darker, but not so dark as the darkest trilo- trinity it, in in that issue that we were talking about in August, because it, it has the Trinity of Zatanna, dead man and Constantine. Oh. In it. So it's, it's actually a, a quad quadrinity of trinities. <laughs> a qu- Trinity quadrangle. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, boy, it's a, <laughs> they should do the twisted tri- trilogy, the twisted <laughs> Trinity. <laughs> Fuck. Joker, Joker and Joker. The three jokers. The three jokers. We already have three jokers. It writes itself, guys. Come it's, on. That's done. Oh my goodness. The DC three does it again. Yep. The D- the D of 
That's so that makes a pentagram, <laughs> oh, which boy. successfully summons. Uh, Etrigan? Etrigan, done, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, that brings us to the Wonder Woman annual. Ah, this is what annuals should be. This is good. Well, I was going to say, this is this is way more in line with what I like from an annual. Although, you know, I, I will say the one sort of knock against an annual like this is just there's going to be a, a variety of quality when you do a book like this. Yeah. Um, which is fine, you know. It it totally works. I I really enjoyed the Trinity story that that launches this, which takes place right when Wonder Woman arrives on Earth, and uh, it's you see the first meeting of Bruce, Clark, and Diana. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, but it's fantastic. It makes zero sense. Uh, yeah, how does it not make sense? It's not, I mean, it does not seem to be, Superman's wearing, he's wearing like his current costume. Yeah. And well, cause he's, cause I see, yeah, I see what you're saying. He should be wearing trunks. Yes. And I, I didn't, I didn't take notes on this, but something about, something about like something that Bruce or Clark said to one another didn't make any sense it doesn't seem like this should like this should actually be their first meeting i don't know exactly how to communicate that why don't you guys talk about it and i'll see if i can figure out what i meant by that well i i loved it i thought it was perfect oh, oh i absolutely loved it was it. super I, fun it just doesn't make any sense <laughs> yeah well, I, th- I thought it made sense i mean like I, it just seemed like bruce and clark had kind of like a like they knew each other but just not super well um bruce is still clark is still trying to crack that that gruff exterior and find the you know the sweet chocolate center mm-hmm. <laughs> uh yeah i i'll also say that uh nicola scott does does an incredible diana but i would like to see her do more superman stuff too because Superman Absolutely. had a real carefree nature to him here. Oh, this was this was. We talked last week about um, uh, how I felt like like Greg Ruck is leaving for now, and I feel like I feel like he didn't get to do enough. Mm-hmm. And I alluded to this issue because I want so much more of this Greg Rucker writing the tr- like Greg Rucker should be writing Trinity. Yeah, yeah, I. The, the interplay between Batman and Superman and then when he threw in Diana, it was all so good. So entertaining, funny, personality that, that we hadn't yet really seen much of in Rucka's Wonder Woman run uh, in Rebirth, you know? Like, mm-hmm. those stories are very good, but there's not a heck of a lot of humor. You almost right. forget that he's pretty good at that. And... Uh, Man, this was entertaining and pretty to look at. Yeah. I also liked the Vita Ayala and uh, Claire Rowe King Shark story. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really a, a sort of a fun, different take on Wonder Woman. I think visually, this looked a lot like like early 90s Wonder Woman in some places, uh, which, mm-hmm. which I was a big fan of. So so remind me, because I, I haven't read this book in a very long time, but Claire Rowe is on... 
background on the Birds of Prey, right? Yes. This she doesn't watched. look anything like that. This looks like no, the first two issues of that, I could see. I feel like it looks way different, but there I think is, it's there's probably something been, different. It's the bear, Bel Air colors, I feel like. Yeah, it it's, could be the coloring, it could be the ink. I don't know if, does she ink her own work here? Let me see. She does. Uh, she does? No okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I don't know if there was an inker on Birds of Prey, but, like, this had a much more, like, Eduardo Rizzo look yep. to it almost yeah. at times. And, um, but I like Rose art on Birds of Prey too, but I, I like it here. I just like the way that she draws. Like, she draws Wonder Woman as, like, super buff and yep. just. Yeah, I don't know. Something about it. And the way that she stages action is really fun. And yeah, I, I think she's great. Uh, my least favorite story of the issue was the Michael Murray C. Stephanie Hands one. Even though I thought it was, it was all right. I just think that Diana killing should be almost as rare as Clark killing. Yeah. And even though she was killing here upon request and for a good reason, it just feels like it's a cop. Like one of the things that drove me crazy about when Man of Steel came out is people were like, well, super, is Superman is going to let Zod kill all these people? And the answer should be like, no, you should have written it better. You know what I mean? Like there should be, yeah. there should be an answer out, out of that that isn't snapping the neck. And I feel like same thing here. Like, Diana is is the greatest, you know, is the greatest. She should be able to figure this out. Other, in other or maybe, uh, yeah. Under, that almost probably would have been, like, a more interesting take, though. If you had, like, a Superman that... Watching a Superman who can't bring himself to kill someone deal with the repercussions of that, you know? Yeah. That, yeah. Would, that would have been the more interesting take, but... Absolutely. Than, ...than what we got, but... And I get, and I get that... There. Yeah. And I get that he's going for, um, well, you know, one 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 form of justice or love could be putting down somebody who's in pain and causing pain and knows it. I get that, but yeah, it feels like a, it feels like a situation that you don't put Diana in, especially in a like eight-page one-off story. Right, yeah. You know? Yeah. I Yeah, I know what you mean. It was fine. It was, it was all mean, right, yeah. But I really liked the uh, the last story, the last kaiju, mm-hmm. with uh, Colin Kelly, Kelly and Jackson Lansing, who were part of the Batman and Robin Eternal writer's room and wrote that hacktivist book and with art by David LaFuente, where we get to see Wonder Woman essentially fight a kaiju and then drop it off at Dinosaur Island. <laughs> so fun it was I, so oh, fun we need more david lafuente stuff yeah he's great yeah uh i also love like her wrapping the lasso around uh around the thing's mouth to talk to it uh <laughs> yeah. to understand it it was so great yeah <laughs> this is super fun really good yeah this is a this is a great annual and i was thinking about this before too i hope that if Greg Rucka is taking a break from Wonder Woman, if they keep doing annuals like this, I'd love to see him come back for a story next year. Yeah. All right. I bank well, on it. Uh, Zach, I'm going to let you introduce this next session because you're the one who wanted to talk about this stuff. Okay, yeah. So I have been playing, both, both playing Injustice 2 and keeping up with the digital comic that's been coming out uh-huh. and i finished the story mode um a little bit ago and 
it started off with a lot more promise and like it was a lot more interesting it kind of wrapped up in a really dull way um and well i should say i've only there's like a forking path at one point and i've only completed one of those paths and I've, I've heard that once you do both of them you kind of unlock like the real ending so that may change but um it's kind of like a if you're familiar at all with like the original injustice like superman goes bad and does a lot of bad stuff and 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 kind of becomes like a tyrant and they they like you get like a superhero civil war type thing so it's kind of following up on all of that stuff and there's like uh oh will superman redeem himself and he kind of doesn't he's kind of still like a huge dick and wonder woman is kind of even worse um so that was all a thing the game is still good but what i i really kind of want to talk about is the the digital first book and so i read the first two uh print issues mm-hmm. which, I, which think, I think is the first four the first digital. four or the first six i'm pretty sure there's only two issue two digital issues per um per print i'm okay. pretty sure because i flipped through those the the print ones too and i think it ended um do you remember what the last thing that happened was i can tell you in a second oh it was uh Superman like cracks the the uh, the like cage he's in. The you see him, he started to break through the uh, the cell he's in. Okay, so yeah, so that's the end of the fourth digital okay. issue. Okay, yeah. Okay, so there there have been eight so far. Um, okay. So, Vince, how much have you read of it? The first two issues. Okay, so you guys have both read the first four yeah. digital chapters. Okay. What do you, what do you think so far? What what are your takes? The, so <clears throat> there there are a couple quibbles I have, and one, I mean the 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 best way to say it is that I'm just not interested in the in the base world that they set up. As far as like, I've never been interested in the evil Superman, the the bad Wonder Woman, just like like that whole that whole like twist is not interesting to me now the actual content of these two issues and the way that the characters are written i think somewhere in there there's a fantastic sort of dceu justice league um i mean it's almost an event book it's not it's not a team book at this point it's maybe they're putting together a team but it feels really like it feels like a weekly event book in the way that like future's end was, you know, right. Where like it's or brightest day or whatever, where it's touching on all these different characters that are not necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily a defined team at this point. Um, and I think Tom Taylor writes, he writes these characters really well, so much so that I almost wish he were writing the regular justice league title based on, the content of these first two issues. Um, I think he writes like a fantastic, I think his Harley Quinn is the best Harley Quinn that we've had in a while. I yeah. Agree with that. yeah. That's, that's really like one of the things that really made me want to talk about this is that, that take exactly that this Harley Quinn is, is a multidimensional character. That's actually interesting. Yep. And I think his uh, green arrow and black canary are extremely entertaining. 
Um, they're awesome as a couple, and I think it's interesting to see the way that he's writing them. I think Ben Percy's doing a fantastic job over in his book, but he's very much writing them almost as if they're starting a relationship completely from scratch, and 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 we're not supposed to bring any baggage in with that. Right. Whereas Tom Taylor's writing them as an established couple, and we do bring all the baggage in. And there's obviously some shenanigans we're not we're not familiar with, like you know, it's an Ollie from another dimension, and this one is dead already. You know, like there's a lot of that stuff that unless you were reading Injustice, the comic, or playing the game, you wouldn't be uh, aware of. But it's not so dense that you can't figure it out by just reading the comic. Right, right, and it's you know that's all kind of just like pre-game set dressing that's really just there to kind of get you to this is basically like the the green arrow and and black canary that you've always known right yep yep yeah i'd be i'd be interested to touch on this again maybe later i don't know how much more you guys would be like interested in committing to read but i the last i guess the contents of the next two print issues had both some like really i think like the most recent digital chapter the one that just came out was a very good bruce and damien issue okay um but then there are some weird shenanigans in there also littered in that let's just say echoes of identity crisis Um, so i'd I'd be interested (laughs) to hear your takes i can tell you what the you want me to tell you what the thing is so you don't have to read it it's a rape no it's not a rapey thing oh okay it's um there's one of Batman's contingency plans is he has the atom carry a kryptonite shard into Superman's brain to oh. kind of like hold him hostage, basically. Uh huh. Hold him at gunpoint, as it were, within oh, his Bruce. own head. That Bruce. Interesting. Yeah. Does he leave little footprints in the brain? And he doesn't. How- he doesn't do that. I think. I don't think. I guess he's not. You know, he's still a Kryptonian. Although I guess he is like depowered right now. I don't know the mechanics of walking around on somebody's brain. And I don't think Brad Meltzer does either, so. (laughs) Or Tom Taylor. Or Tom Taylor. I don't think anybody does. Somebody probably does. Yeah, probably. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm enjoying this digital comic way more than I, like, would have expected to. And, and I think like a lot of that is Tom Taylor doing some pretty interesting things. And, and the art is actually like pretty good in, in some of the issues too. Yeah. I was enjoying far, far it. Better than it has any right to be right. Right. So I'd, uh, I, I mean, I, I, this is kind of like Tom Taylor's thing at DC. Um, but I, and I know he's done other stuff for them too, that I either like wasn't interested in or didn't pay attention to, but, um, he'd be a great fit for like a cool team book or, or something. Yeah. Justice League Power Rangers is another one. He yeah, 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 you're yeah. right. I totally forgot about that. You're right. Yeah, yeah. So I think between like this and that, he's like more than you know proved his his ability to tell like a big kind of like sprawling cape story. Yeah, it's weird how with the new Fifty Two there seem to be four hundred team books, and now there's so few. Mm-hmm. There's two Justice League books, two Titans books, and is that it? And background the Birds of Prey. Yeah, I guess you can. And Deathstroke's about to become one. Yeah, I guess you can count Detective as one too. Maybe there's not as few as I remember, but you know, like there was three Justice League books. There's fewer. There's less of that, like, kind of like overt, blatant yeah. stuff. I mean, there was 
like you know, uh, we mentioned Demon Knights. There was Blackhawks, Ravagers, Ravagers. Um, <laughs> gosh, uh, I just have what, Team Six. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, folks. Well, before we wrap up, we had a suggestion from a listener on Twitter, and I'm going to pull that up as we talk because I forgot to look that up beforehand. But uh, uh, the listener essentially said that when we started this podcast as a weekly rebirth podcast, we did one of our uh, pull pirate and pulp games for all the books that were announced. And he suggested that now that we are a year in, we should revise this and we should do it again and see what uh see where we stand on these things and so i initially said where we save for when uh for when zach gets back from uh japan but we decided we have some time tonight so we'll do it uh this is by from uh at rich c 137 on twitter so thank you rich so uh if you don't like this tweet at rich and blame him um i'm kidding this is gonna be fun so I think the best way to do this, boys, is I'm just going to say the book title, and all we can say is Pull, Pirate, or Pulp. Oh, man. The, and I haven't thought about any. I mean, some will be obvious, but <clears throat> oh, boy. All right. Do you guys want me to start from – I guess I'll start from the top here. Huh. So, uh, Batman. <laughs> Pirate. <laughs> Pulp. Pulp. Detective. Pull. 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 Nightwing. Pull. 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 Uh, Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. Pulp. 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 All-Star Batman. Pull. Pirate. Pirate. <laughs> what? Yeah. You dicks. <laughs> Action Comics. Pulp. Pulp. Terrible. Uh, pulp, yeah. Uh, new Superman. Pull. 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 Supergirl. Pirate. Pirate. I'm pulling this still. Uh, Trinity. Pulp. Pirate. I think I'm pulping this, even though I, I like Manipul's art a lot. But I love Manipul's art. Yeah. Uh, Superwoman. Pull. Uh, pull. Pull. Superman. Pull. Pull. Wonder Woman. Pull. Pull. Justice League. Pulp. Pirate. I'm right on the fence this one. I'm going to say pirate, though. Uh, The Flash. Pull. Pull. Hal and the Green Lantern Corps. Pirate. Pirate. Pulp. <laughs> Green Lanterns. Pulp. I like that last issue, but pulp. Pulp. Pirate. Wow. You did, the, I wait, am, you did a cheroo. I have some blisters from that burn, that hot take. Wow. <laughs> Shit. Uh, Cyborg is a pulp for me. Pulp. Absolute, pulp. absolute pulp. Worst the pulpiest pulp there can be. <laughs> Uh, Aquaman. Pull. Uh, pull. Yeah. Uh, Titans. Pull. No. I'm gonna pull it. Oh man. 
I want to pull this so bad, but I'm pirating it. I. Uh, if I'm honest, it's a pirate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Harley Quinn, pulp. Pulp. Vince. I, I said Paul. I, I, I thought you were building suspense. I didn't hear you. No, no, no. Uh, no, no, no. I uh, Suicide Squad is the pulpiest for me. Oh, God. Pulp. Yeah, pulp. Garbage. Uh, oh, wait. No, this is more garbage. Batman Beyond. Pulp. Pulp. Uh, Green Arrow. Pirate. Pirate. Clo- very close to pulp. Yeah, pirate as well, but I'm I'm close to pulling it. Uh, the Hellblazer. Pulp. Oh, oh hard pulp. Pulp, but I'll be pulling it when Tim Seeley is writing it. Probably, yeah. Yep. Uh, Deathstroke. Oh, pulp. cool. The hardest of pulls. <laughs> uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws. Uh, I'm going to pulp it. The last couple may want to pulp, but I'm going to pirate it. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's... I know we've said that a bunch of these are the pulpiest so far, but Blue Beetle might be the pulpiest of all. The real pulpiest. Yeah. The real pulp hours right there. Yeah. <sighs> uh, Teen Titans. Pulp. pulp. I'm pirating this. What? Hey. I, I like it, but it's you know it's it's close to being pulp. Uh, Super Sons. Pulp. Yep. Pulling this. JLA. This one's a pirate. I'm pulling this. Yeah, this is the this this one really came into a pull recently for me. I I like I can see what Orlando's building here. Pull. I don't I don't blame you though. Yeah, the only two books that were announced that did not come about right away. One was Gotham Academy second semester, and that's not really rebirth. And the other one was Earth 2, which we still haven't seen. But everything else we've gone through, that, that's the full ongoing I, I list. we didn't do Batwoman, did we? Oh, because that was announced later. You're right. That Okay, so Batwoman, uh, I'm pulling that. I'm pulling that. Pull. I think that's everything, though. What about, um, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I was going to say... I was gonna say uh, Justice League versus Suicide Squad as an event book, because that's technically Rebirth. No, but it's not. It's not ongoing. Uh, yeah. Okay. These are the ongoings. So that's fine. Well, I mean, I think when we're looking at it that way, there is there is a clear pulp consensus on one, two, three. Four, five, six, seven or eight. We decided we were all pulping, and I would say there was equal or more that we're all pulling, right? Surely, yeah. Uh, I think that's fair. Yeah. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11. There's 11 books that the three of us all are pulling. And a number of books that two are pulling and one is pirating. 
I don't think we had anyone where somebody was pirating and some where someone was pulling and someone else was pulping. Yeah, I don't think so. That one commenter was correct. We are stuck in our ways. <laughs> uh, what can I say? It's how it's it's how we got along so well from the start. It is. It if is. they don't like it, there wouldn't be a show. That's so. true. That's true. Well, Zach, listen, man, have a great trip. We're gonna miss you. I'll miss you guys. We have we have a bevy of co-hosts lined up to uh, to fill your shoes. Although none will will truly fulfill them, we'll have we'll have fun with the other MultiversityComics.com podcasters who are sitting in for you while you're gone. Um, I'll keep the seat warm for me. Yeah, and we we told you if there's any fun, uh, you know, DC Comics related stuff happening in Japan, send us little sound clips and we'll put it in the show. Sounds good. And uh, is there anything you want us to do in your absence here? Is there anything you feel like you're gonna be you know, pulling out of the podcast that we're gonna have to make up for? I think um, I think you should make each guest do the actual DC three cast drinking game. <laughs> uh, we 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 need to we need to normalize that one of these days. Maybe when you're on the plane, Zach, and you need something to do, like <laughs> yes. write out the actual DC three cast drinking game. <laughs> I feel, you know, there's definitely uh, you know, when when I call something a garbage comic. Yeah, is, anytime like a Borat reference is made. Yeah, a yep. Borat reference is made. Whenever we play the blank show as DC Comics, you got to finish your drink. That's the... Uh... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what if... Yeah, imagine what if Deadwood were DC Exactly, comic. yeah. Every, every time you Wilkerson a book, you have to do a shot. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, makes those... Makes those uh, Blue Beetle, Batman Beyond Weeks, really tough. Oh, God. <laughs> or really much, much better. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right, my friend. So your your first show back will be the first show in July. Yes, I believe that's correct. Yeah. And uh, Vince, you're gone that week, right? Yes, I'll be gone. I'll be in Colorado, and um, I'm probably going to die of a marijuana overdose. So. <laughs> and Just then... kidding. I don't, I don't do drugs. So, but you could there, it's legal, not yeah. federally, but you wouldn't be doing anything wrong, Vince. Well, um, maybe not in the eyes of your God. <laughs> but... Oh, man. And then the oh, second the... week oh. of July, I'm going to be in Pittsburgh, so I'm going to be missing the show. So uh, I'll see you guys. Hang on. I'm pulling up the calendar here. We're going to get to hey, tell it's to all things are pure to those who are pure. <laughs> Titus one fifteen. Oh wow! See, I I got none of that. E- Eighteen years as an altar boy squandered. <laughs> so you guys will not be hearing from the three of us until Wednesday, July twenty sixth. So Dang. Uh, yeah, so savor this, savor this extra long podcast. Listen to ten minutes every day. Between now and then, and you still won't make it the whole way. You should do five minutes. <laughs> well, they, they also have, you know, we're not skipping a week, so. Well, I know, but to have all of us together That's to true. get them through. That's true. So, Basically just, yeah. So for all the episodes where the DC3 isn't together, should we call those episodes the hole in things? Uh, no? 
I feel, I feel like we're missing something here. I feel like there's a there's a Elseworlds DC three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whoever whoever's on the show has to be Earth two Zach. <laughs> <laughs> or Earth three Zach the evil Zach. Yeah. Yep. Earth S or Zach. like Earth Earth Earth. What what's the gender swap Earth? Oh, I forget. Oh now. yeah. So Earth S is the Shazam universe. So yeah, just the. Really Earth, Earth X, me from me from the forties. Yeah. <laughs> Say, how about that pain tonic, eh? I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Nazi. Nazi oh, I didn't the go 40s. there. Shit. Wow. Okay. It's an Elseworld. I'm no longer the most pro- problematic one on this show anymore. If Superman can be a Nazi, we can all be Nazis. Oh my God. Oh. <laughs> Ryan, cut the mic. <laughs> Well, before I do that, let's uh, let's just say thanks again for listening. Go to multiversitycomics.com for all sorts of wonderful uh, stuff. When is, I guess you're on this week's episode of uh, Force Ghost Coast to Coast, Vince? I guess so, yeah. And then this uh, is kind of a fun thing. We should probably tease this here. In a few weeks, Vince and I will be filling in for Zach and Walter on the uh, Manga Club podcast. And we'll, we'll, we'll plug it the week before it comes out, but we are reading... The first volume of the Bat Manga, the uh, Jiro, uh, I'm going to mispronounce his last name. When you guys help me out here? Oh, I'd have to look it up. Hold on. I don't, yeah, I don't, K- K- I know it starts with a K. Yeah, Jiro Katamura, I think it is. Katamura? Uh, Kuwata. Jiro Kuwata, I was talking about. Jiro Kuwata, Bat Manga. So we'll, we'll plug that one just closer, but we're, we're reading that with, with Emily Myers, the uh, co-host of Manga Club, so that'll be a lot of fun, too. So you'll miss the three of our lovely banter, but we'll get we'll have plenty more coming up in a few weeks. And uh, so you can follow me on Twitter for my adventures through, uh, I don't know, fatherhood, I guess. I tweet about my kids sometimes. I'm at Brian Needs a Nap. For your adventures in Packer fandom, where do you follow <laughs> you, Vince? Yeah, and o- OTAs are starting, so you, you'll get to, you know, football never really ends, I guess. I'm um, at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I, Steve Trevor's pod. <laughs> <laughs> to and, say that again. And for Zach's adventures as being the tallest man in Japan, where can we follow you? I am at SirFox89. So, uh, safe travels, bud. And we'll be back next week with uh, next week's guest host is, uh, we'll keep it a secret, I guess. One of, one of your multiversity favorites. Dan DiDio. Dan DiDio, yes, uh... You pull everything. You pirate nothing. You don't pulp a goddamn thing. What's what's this? What's this pull pirate pulp bull crap? What the what the fuck is this? Uh, you you know we get you those comics for free. <laughs> Bunch of nerds. <laughs> Thanks,